I'm asking for team members to pass down your way um, a blank note sheet. Did I do that already? You need a, a, a blank sheet that has lines on it, says notes. It's not for notes, so um, take that because I'm going to use it at the close. Everyone needs something to write with, so if you don't have a pencil, I forgot to do that too. Just take that blank sheet. They're always going to, this is going to be a little bit weird, I know. They're going to pass down your way a piece of string, okay? And everyone needs about a, a foot piece of string, okay? Just kind of take that, and uh, it, it, it might make sense later, okay? So uh, take a, so you should get a, a blank note sheet that you're going to use later, so don't, don't write on that one because um, we're going to get to that a little bit, and a piece of string, just a, foot piece of string and a pencil something to write with so hopefully um, you can get all those things take your little green book if you have it and turn to page number 30 I think there are two things necessary for revival the two things necessary for revival are an accurate view of ourselves and an accurate view of God and when we see the greatness of our God and the greatness of our need that is a great recipe for revival because as we see how great our need is there's no place else we can go except the greatness of our God. That's why David said, turn us again, O God. Cause thy face to shine upon us. Revival is us turning to God, God turning to us. And, and, and that's we, we need to see ourselves as we really are. We don't like that sometimes. And we need to see God as he really is. So tonight, I want us to take a few moments to look at God. And, and, and just the greatness of the grandeur, the wonder of this God that we serve. So take your Bible, turn to the 103rd Psalm, Psalm 103. Make sure you have a piece of string, a paper, and uh, if you don't have something to write with, they'll come back through with some pencils and, and make sure you have something to, to write with. 103rd Psalm. This is a very familiar passage, uh, Psalm, that, that talks about the greatness and the grandeur of this God that we serve. So let's stand together and, and look through this with me. By the way, your prayer cards, did I say I already pass those to the aisle? The team will collect those too as they slip out um, and, and, and pray for the service. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all that are oppressed. And now right in the middle of this, this discourse on God, he kind of takes a little rabbit trail. Gives us a, a history lesson in verse 7. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Then he jumps back into this discourse on God in verse number 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He, he will not always strive with us nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sin, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his compassion and loving kindness towards those that fear him. As far as the east is in the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just like a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He himself knows that we are but dust. He remembers our frame. He's mindful of that. As for man, his days are as grass, like a, a flower of the field that flourisheth, and, and the wind passes over it. It's gone, and the, and the place throughout acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those that fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, to those who remember his precepts to do them. 
And I'm reading out of the New American Standard, and I love the way it puts verse 19. Here's what verse 19 says in the New American Standard. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. I love that. His sovereignty rules over all. Verse 20, bless the Lord, you as angels, mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you of his hosts who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Wow. Lord, we, um, I, I, I just can't understand, God, why you want me to bless you. I, I read in Psalms where the psalmist just over and over again blesses you. I, I think, what, what do I have? What, what, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why, why would you want my blessing? I understand it, but, but you've modeled that for us. And so, so we say tonight, I say to you, and, and we say together, with all that is within us, as insignificant as that seems, we, we bless you tonight. And, and ask that you would show us yourself in a fresh, in a different way, in a, in a more impactful way, perhaps, that, that we would have a, a greater understanding of you as we see the, the, the greatness of who you are, that we would run to you, not, not out of fear of, of being afraid, but out of, out of reverential fear because you, we are awestruck by, by your greatness and your power and that, that you are our only hope. Remind us of that tonight. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. I want us to look at the history lesson for a minute back there in verse number seven. And here, here's the premise of what I'm going to share with you tonight. You will never embrace the will of God until you first understand the ways of God. I believe many Christians are resisting the will of God in their life. That they don't like that circumstance, they don't like that situation. And the reason we are resisting what God wants for us, His will, which is to make us an image of the Son, Jesus, is because we don't understand the ways of God. And, and, and here's the illustration here in verse 7. It, it says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. See, the children of Israel, they didn't understand the ways of God. Here, here they were backed up against the Red Sea, right? Walls, on, mountains on each side, the Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptian army pursuing them. And, and, and they, they fell apart. They lost. They had a meltdown. Moses, what are you doing? Did you bring us out here to kill us in the wilderness? What's the deal here? Because all they understood were, was God performing these acts and the miracles and giving them food and all. But, but they didn't understand God's ways. But Moses, remember we read this on Sunday. He said, let me know your ways that I might know you. And unless you understand the ways of God, you will resist his will. And, and, and here's the first way of God that I want us to look at. God does his work in sovereign ways. God, he is a sovereign God. His sovereignty rules over all. I believe this is the foundational truth as a believer for me to understand and embrace the circumstances of my life is to yield myself to the fact that God is sovereign. What does that mean? Anyway, that God is sovereign. It means that he's God and I'm not. And I'm okay with that. But some of us aren't. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is one of my favorite Old Testament passages. 
I guess because uh, the first part of Isaiah 40 talks about the, the ministry of John the Baptist. And we kind of prophetically, and, and we kind of see ourselves as a, as a John the Baptist ministry, kind of spreading the seeds of revival um, uh, across the country and, and, and waiting for God to bring that to fruition. And so Isaiah 40 starts by, by talking about um, his ministry that's going to come. And then I like verse 8 of Isaiah 40. It talks about the word of God, the little stand forever. That's a, that's a great verse. Skip down now, um, Isaiah 40, down to about verse 12. God, uh, Isaiah is trying to explain to these people about this God that they're resisting, this God that they're not trusting. So he says to them in verse 12, Isaiah 40, 12, he says, let me ask you a question. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? In other words, he said, let me tell you how big this God is that, that you're pushing against, that you're not obeying. Who is big enough to measure the waters of the world in the hollow of his hand? Do you know how much water there is in the face of the earth? There are 340 quintillion gallons. Three zeros is a thousand. Three more is a million. Three more is a billion. Three more is a trillion. Three more is a quadrillion. Three more is a quintillion. 340 quintillion gallons, and God holds it all in the palm of his hand. What a God. What a vast God. What an almighty God. And his point is this, if God is big enough to hold the oceans of the world in the palm of his hand, he's big enough to take care of your life. Who, who can do that? Only God can. He says next in verse 12, and, and who has marked the heavens by the span? How big is our universe? He said, here's how big God is. The span of your hand is distant from your thumb to your little finger. That's the span. God marks the universe inside the span of his hand. How, how big is our universe? I mean, we, we, really, we really don't know. I mean, we do our best to try with the, 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 the latest technology we have to, to look from space and, and try to, to grasp. I mean, er, early astronomers, one astronomer came out and said in, in his scientific study, this is a lot of years ago, there are exactly nine, or exactly 494 stars. Then this thing called a telescope was invented. And all of a sudden, oh no, no, there's 1,095 stars. Yeah, then telescopes started getting a little bit bigger. And all of a sudden we begin to realize that the universe is a little larger than just what we can look up and see in the sky. And, and, and so we have these telescopes now that can take us out into deep space and, and we, 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 we try to comprehend the size of the universe. I mean, the, the sun, our sun, is a million times bigger than the earth. How do we comprehend that? It, it, and, and, and our sun is just a, a small sun in the galaxy. There, there's one star in our galaxy that is so large that the sun, the earth, and the entire orbit of the earth around the sun can all fit inside that star. How, how do we grasp that? And, and then, then we realize that we're in this galaxy, this, this Milky Way galaxy, and because of the Hubble telescope, now we, we're told we're not only just in this galaxy, there are 100 billion more galaxies with 100 billion stars each. How do we grasp that? We, we, in, in the palm of his hand, the universe, as we know it, is 600 sextillion miles across. What does that mean? We don't even measure it in miles, so, so now we measure it in light years. That, that's how far light travels in a year. Light travels 186,273 miles per second. You snap your fingers, in that much time, light has traveled on the earth seven and a half times, not fast. At the speed of light, 
It takes you about nine minutes to get to the sun, and it's 93 million miles away. So at the speed of light going across the universe, 15 billion years. And I read just this past month, some astronomer, because we're going deeper into space, just this last month, some astronomer wrote an article, and he said he believes the universe is actually 10 times bigger than we actually have thought. How do we grasp that? But whatever the size it is, God holds it all in the palm of his hand. What a God. What a vast God. What an almighty God. And the point is the God who holds the universe in the span of his hand is big enough to take care of your life. We've got a great big God of creation, but a midget God of our everyday life. He goes on and says to them, he says, uh, who directed the spirit of the Lord? Who was his counselor? Who informed God? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He'd sit there and say, hmm, hmm, never thought about that. But where'd that come from? That that didn't happen to God. Nothing surprises him. He goes on in verse 14, with whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him the past of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who informed him? The nations, verse 15, are like a drop from a bucket. You know, we think we're so important as Americans. I I love America. I'm so glad to be American. But I want to tell you, I'm not an expert on the end times. I'm I'm an expert on anything. But I've heard preachers stand up and say that they'll, they'll open, they'll show some verse and say, right here, this is where America's at in the Bible. Folks, I don't think America is even in the Bible. I think we've got this great big head, and we think, boy, God really needs, God does not need America. God can wipe us off the map, and, and, and nothing would be missed. The nations are a drop from a bucket. The earth weighs six sextillion metric tons. It's nothing more than a speck of dust on God's scale. He goes on and puts up in perspective down in verse 22. It says, as he who sits upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That's us. And we're the grasshoppers right there. That's, that's giving us more than we deserve. Look, look down at verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these stars. The one who leads forth his host by number. He calls them all by name. Are you kidding? A hundred billion stars in our galaxy and a hundred billion more galaxies? How much is a hundred billion times a hundred billion? I think it's the national debt. I'm, I'm not sure. But, but, but what, we can't comprehend that. How, how does he do that? How many stars is that? If every person on the face of the earth had a library with a million volumes, a million books. Pastor, you have a million volumes in your library? I only have five in my library and two aren't colored in yet. But anyway, if every person had a million volume library, every person in, in China, uh, Indonesia, Texas, all those foreign countries, if, if every person on the face of the earth had a library with a million, uh, seven billion people, right? Everyone, a million volumes, every book as thick as a Webster's Dictionary. Are you envisioning that? There would still not be enough pages of paper to write down the names of a hundred billion times a hundred billion stars. And God calls them all by name. How does he do that? I've got six kids. I can't keep their names straight. What is it? Because he's God. And we've got this great big God. We believe, I was counseling a gal one time, and um, her parents asked me to talk to her. They wanted her to go to a particular college, Christian college, and she didn't want to go there. And, and so they asked me to talk with her. And so I, I said to her, I said, listen, do you believe that one day God stepped on the front porch of heaven and spoke the worlds into existence? 
I mean, look at the sky and the mountains. Do you think God made all this? Just spoke, yeah, I believe that. She, she, she believed God created the universe. I said, do you think the God who's big enough to speak the worlds into existence is big enough to reach inside your dad's heart? If, if he wants you to go to the school that you want to go to, can't you pray and God will reach in there and change your dad's heart? Is God big enough to do that? I asked her that question. She looked at me and she thought and she thought. She said, I don't know. How about fell on my chair? But, but that's the way we are. We think God can create the universe. We're just not sure he can change our husband. That might be too taxing on God. He can't handle that one. Can't change our wife. Can't change that child. God can do a lot of things, but not in my world. This, this sovereignty, here's what it's saying. God, whatever you want to do, you don't have to ask me. God does not have to explain to Steve Canfield how he runs the universe. He's God and I'm not. You see, if I knew everything God knows, I would not question anything that God does. But the fact is, I don't know everything God knows. Frank Freddy uh, was saying, uh, he, he was sharing about, um, 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 oh, I forgot her name now. Anyway, this, this, uh, this actress who's really into the, the, the New Age, Shirley MacLaine, in the, she had a, a video on the New Age movement and whatever, and um, she, was, she was trying to enlist people into the, this, this New Age type thing, and, and uh, her little guru was saying to her, now Shirley, here's the deal. The fact is, we're all God. We just forgot we were God. Wait, wait, a God who forgets he's God. Does that even make sense? You know? Okay, so we're all God. We forgot we were God, so we just have to be reminded. Okay, so you just have to believe that you're God. So if you'll believe that you're God, you can be God. Man, that's, a, that's great. Okay, so, 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 so he's telling Shirley, so she's says, okay, I believe I'm God. He says, no, you really have to believe it. He's okay. So I really, no, he says, you really have to believe it. So in this video, she's standing down on a, a majestic scene down by the ocean on these rocks and, and a beautiful sky and, and some of these 340 quintillion gallons of water splicing over the rocks. I wish a few more would have. But anyway, they're splicing over the rocks and she looks, the music swells. She looks up into heaven. And she says, I am God. Frank Purdy says, can't you imagine God looking over the front porch of heaven saying, Michael, what is that down there? I am and God sits in heaven and laughs, doesn't he? When, when some mortal woman sits there and, and shakes her fist and declares to be God? But as silly as that is, some of us live that way. We, we think God can create the universe, but we are, the, we, we are our own God. We've got a midget God of everyday life. Listen, he is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do, and he doesn't have to explain to anybody why he does it. And until you embrace the sovereignty of God, that he's God and you're not, and you're okay with that, you, you, you're gonna push against the will of God all of your life. And the reason we've resisted God's will is because we try to do things our way rather than just coming alongside and letting God be sovereign and who he is. Now, let me illustrate it this way. Pastor, I want you to come help me for a minute. And um, I want you to come stand up on stage here. Take out your string that you have there. Pastor Jeff, we're up on stage real quick here. No, no, you don't need a string yet. I got string for you. So, so take this roll right here, all right? And, and what I want you to do is I want you to pull me up on stage. Okay, would you do that? Go ahead, pull me up on stage. Okay, go ahead. Wait, wait, that didn't work. Okay, let me try it again. Okay, let's try it again. Okay, pull, pull me right up there, wait. Okay, that's not working. Okay, let's try this. Take a hold of that. Okay, now, now let's see. Now, now pull me up. Okay, it's a little bit easier, okay, because, because there's, there's a little bit of strength there. You did a great job. Thank you, bro. That was great. Let me, let me keep that string here. 
So, so, so here's the point. Take that little piece of string. What I want you to do is I want, this, this takes real talent. I want you to tie it around your wrist. Okay, now, this, this takes real, some of you aren't uh, ambidextrous enough to do that, but you'll have somebody can help you with that. And here, here's, here's the point. I want you to take that, that piece of string, tie it around your wrist, and, and wear it through these days, if, if you can, um, and, and see how long you can keep it on there. And every time you see it, I want you to be reminded that, that string is a picture of you. You're the string. Now, here, here's, this, this rope is the sovereignty of God. Here's what God wants us to do. As, as, as I abide in Christ, as I, I wrap myself around the sovereignty of God, understand God, get to know God, and I become uh, in his image and let Christ be formed in my life. Now, now God is still pulling on this. How, how, how much is this string helping in this process? It's, it's, no, it's not, it's not helping any. It's just going along for the ride. God is sovereign, he's gonna pull it. If I'm wrapped in him, if, if I, my confidence is in him, if I try to do this on my own, I'm gonna try to pull this on my own, I'm gonna get as far as, as Pastor did getting me up on stage. But if I'm, if I'm entwined in God, if I understand God, if I yield to God, he is sovereign, he is the rope. And, and every time now as we walk through these days, and you, tomorrow you can sell a piece of string around your wrist, that is you. And, and you need to say in these days, God, I, I, I have no power, no more power than the string does to pull me along. I need you. You're the one, you are sovereign, you're God, I'm not, and I'm okay with that. And let that be that reminder. Okay, here's the second thing about God. I'm not gonna take as long as these other ones, but uh, here's something else about God. God does his work in sudden ways. He is sovereign, his ways are sovereign. He also does things suddenly. Ever felt like God was, was grabbing you by the ankles and turning you upside down and shaking everything in your life? God will do that. Hebrews says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. God will shake loose everything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus. My, my wife is from Indiana. I'm from Oregon. Um, in Oregon, we don't have tornadoes. My, my wife grew up in, in tornado country, you know? And so, and we're, we're in the South a lot. And so, so, so she, wa she's, she watches the weather all the time, watching for these tornadoes. And there's, there's two things. There's, there's warnings and watches, right? Which, which is worse? The, the warning? The watch? Do you know, Pastor? Which is worse? Anybody know? The warning is worse. See, it's confusing because it, to me it should be the warning is it's coming and then watch out, there it is. You know, and, and so I, I, don't, I don't understand. I can never get that in my mind, which is worse. But anyway, um, so, so, but you, you do have with tornadoes some kind of, you know, warning or watch or whatever it is. So we're out in California. And I'd, I'd never heard of tornadoes because we didn't have those out there. But we were out in California some years ago and I was speaking, we, went, we had some time off. We went to a little outlet mall thing, this little jewelry store, trinket jewelry store, and an earthquake hit. Now I've been through some earthquakes. There, there's no warning, there's no watch. You don't chart it on the map. Conditions aren't ripe this week or this day or this hour or whatever, it just happens. And the whole building starts shaking. I grabbed Debbie and we, we jumped under a, a, a table there. And, and, and sometimes it feels like that's what's happening in your life. This earthquake comes and everything's being, sh and listen, the, the deal is when those times happen, remember that God does his work in sudden ways. He shakes, don't, don't throw your faith away in those moments. Realize God is trying to do something to shake loose everything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus. At some point tonight, we're gonna get through it. And, and, and let's just say, when you get home tonight, you're standing at the front door of your house, and there's a blackout over the whole state. 
can't, and, just, and let's say there's a cloud cover or smoke from fire or whatever, and so you can't see anything from the stars, and uh, even though the moon's so close, whatever, you can't see anything, and you're standing at the front door of your house, pitch black, could you find the flashlight in your house? Most people could. Let's just say you keep it in the kitchen in that little island thing in the third row down. So you walk in your house, pitch black, you can't see a thing. But, but you, you've lived there long enough to know, I got a you know, split level house, I, 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 got, I got to walk up here, I'm walking through the hall, I got to go down, and, and, and you may bump in the walls a little bit, but, but you know, you've, you've lived there a while, so you, stay, you finally get into the kitchen, you feel your way, and you know that island thing is there, and so you go over there and you pull the drawer up, pull out the flat, what, what did you do? You applied in the dark what you learned in the light. And that's what we need to do. When the lights go out, when it just seems like everything in your life is falling apart, apply in the dark what you learn in the light. Every time your pastor stands and opens this book, every Sunday, he is giving you light. Every time you come to a time like this where, where, there, where truth is shared, you're getting light. So, so when the lights go out, don't throw your hands in there and say, where's God? Apply in the dark, cry out. That's what grace is about. That's why grace is so important. I hope you got up this morning and cried out for grace. So, so you apply, Spurgeon said it this way. He said, learn to trust the heart of God even when you can't see the hand of God. See, the children of Israel, unless they saw the hand of God giving them everything they wanted, they got mad. In fact, they didn't even like the food they were being served. Anytime, here they, here they saw God part the Red Sea. I mean, I've said, I'd be happy to see God part a mud puddle. They got to see the Red Sea parted. And three days later, they're complaining in the wilderness about no water. Don't you think they should have known that the God who could part the Red Sea could give them water in the desert? But all they knew were the acts of God, the hand of God. And if God wasn't handing them everything that they wanted, then they, they threw God overboard. Don't, don't, don't look, look for his heart. Get to know his ways. And sometimes he does his work in sudden ways. And it's okay. It's one of his ways. Here's the third one. He does his work in silent ways. A lot of times, you know, we're looking for the church. It's got the biggest noise, biggest show, whatever it might happen to be. God does a lot of work in silent ways. You know the story where the prophet you know, said, uh, um, you know, I, I want to see you. And, and so the, a strong wind came and an earthquake and a fire, and God wasn't in those. And then he came in a still, small voice. The, the, the fact is, we sometimes miss the supernatural looking for the spectacular. We want to see the biggest, the loudest, the best, the most, whatever. And, and, and God does his work oftentimes in silent ways. A dear friend of our ministry is uh, Erwin Lutzer, who's the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. I just resigned recently, actually, and because um, he's um, retiring. But anyway, uh, he was with us some time ago, and he, he said this. He said, never interpret the silence of God as the indifference of God. I like that. Never interpret the silence of God as the indifference of God. God is never indifferent to his people. But there will be times of silence. The Puritans, the early church fathers, called it the dark night of the soul, where it just feels like sometimes the, the heaven is shut and you can't get through. Sometimes God does his work in silent ways. It's okay. Don't throw in the towel. Just realize that's one of the ways of God. And instead of looking for some you know, bigger, better, more soup, look, look for God in the midst of, of silence. Be still and know that I am God. One of his work and one of his ways are ways of silence. And then one of his ways are suffering ways. I'm going to talk to you about this more tomorrow. But, but, and I don't really like this, actually. 
But, but the fact is, the ways of God are the ways of the cross. It, it's not my favorite thing, but, but I, I want to embrace this about the ways of God. If you, if you don't do that, then when something comes in that bothers you or hurts you or, or you feel wronged in, then again, you, you throw in the towel. I, I think one of the greatest struggles in my life is to die to what I want and, and accept what God wants in my life. I, I don't want that. I want to be in charge. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the Lord was crucified unto me and I unto the world. The cross is a place of death. At the cross, you're totally in the hands of somebody else. You, you don't walk away from a cross. You're carried away. Now, I'm not going to go through this in detail, but, but the ways of the cross are ways of temptation. It's not sin to be tempted. The ways of the cross are ways of misunderstanding and loneliness. And we're all going to go through that. But the ways of the cross are ways of obedience. Christ became obedient even to death on a cross. The ways of the cross are ways of humiliation. It says of Jesus, he made himself of no reputation. Took upon himself the form of a servant. Humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. There's a little saying that I learned years ago. I, I, I can't say I'm living it. I get convicted every time I say it. But it goes like this. It's a, it's a little prayer to God. It goes like this. Make me little and unknown, loved and prized by God alone. Is, is that your prayer? Is that make me little and unknown, loved and prized by God alone? Is, is that okay? If, the ways of the cross are our ways of humiliation, but he made himself of no reputation. The ways of the cross are ways of death. And, and we don't like that, but if you understand these are the ways of God, then what happens, you, you, don't, you don't throw in the towel. But many Christians, because they don't like and or understand the ways of God, they've resisted God's will. The principle of the cross of the, is this. It's a total willingness in my heart to fall to the ground and die. Because one, I, I remember I used to read that verse, you know, that says when a grain of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it abides alone, but once it dies, it brings forth fruit. I thought, man, I don't understand that. I, I was like a science minor in college. I, and, and I thought, how can something really die and come back to life? I don't understand that. And then years ago, I read a book by Watchman Nee called The Release of the Spirit. In that book, he explained that that, that kernel of, of corn or of wheat, the whole thing doesn't die. It's just that hard outer shell rots away. And when that hard outer shell rots away, the life on the inside then can be released. And when we follow the ground, when that kernel of corn or wheat goes, it's covered, buried, out of sight, never to be seen again. But then it brings forth multiple times what went into the ground. And, and it's a part of the ways of God. And if you understand, that's just a starting point. You need to ask God to help you and walk through in the days ahead, understanding God's ways. As you do that, then you can embrace his will. Let me quickly give you some observations about the will of God. I'm learning. One, the will of God is always purposeful, though it may seem inconvenient. There's always a purpose to, to God's will. And do I understand it all? Absolutely not. So here's the deal. We're willing to know God powerfully, but we don't want to know him painfully, right? I mean, you look in the New Testament, and here's Acts 16. Paul and Silas, they're, they're preaching away, and they're, they're arrested, illegally arrested, illegally beaten, 
it was against the law. He was a Roman citizen. They put him in jail with no trial. Here he is. They've beaten him. They've put him down in the lower part of the dungeon, the stench of human dung all around, rats nibbling at their feet, bugs crawling through their wounds. Were they in the will of God, yes or no? Yes or no? Was it convenient, yes or no? Absolutely not. But they were in the will of God. Paul said in Philippians 1, he said, my circumstances have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. He said, the whole praetorium guard has heard of Christ. The Praetorium Guard was 5,000 men. They rotated around being chained to Paul. Talk about a captive audience. And, and, and many of them embraced Christ. He said, so my circumstance, being in prison, has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. The will of God always has a purpose, but, but not, not convenience. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I would most gladly accept this thorn in the flesh that the power of God might be made manifest in my life. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, experience, I'm gonna take that. God, God never calls us to inconvenience without a purpose. So, so the, the will of God is always purposeful. If you understand God's ways, he's sovereign, then you can say, okay, there is a purpose. Do I understand it all? No. Is it convenient? No. But God is sovereign and so I can embrace that. Here's the second thing. The will of God is always beneficial, though it may seem uncomfortable. Certainly, Job is the, the classic example of that. I mean, you've had bad days, right? Here's Job, and one day loses all of his children, loses all of his wealth. A few days later, loses, all, loses his health. He's sitting in an ash heap, scratching the boils all over his body with broken pottery. Loses everything except his wife. Big help she was. All she said was, curse God and die. You know, big help she was. He loses all these things. And, and he goes to, you read through the story of Job, and it's just like, how, how, what, what does he say? His friends, they're saying, yeah, curse God and die too. It's your problem. And you read through the book of Job, and it says this. What did he say? Naked came I into the world, naked go I out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, the Bible says, Job sinned not with his lips. Why? Because he understood the sovereignty of God. He understood the ways of God. And so he could embrace the most difficult thing that ever could happen to him. It was uncomfortable, yes. But just think of the benefit that Job's life has been for centuries. The encouragement that Job's life. And you know, we read through the book of Job, and we see this battle going up in heaven where God and Satan are talking. Job never saw that. You see, he got, his, he got children back. Yeah, but he, he lost children, and they didn't all get Back, put back overnight. It was a process. He goes through his entire life. He did not know. He did not have it explained to him. We don't see God telling him, here's why I'm doing this for you, to you. But what a benefit it's been for, for Christians, for believers for centuries as they've listened and read about the life of Job. He didn't even know the benefit until he was in heaven. And you don't know the unseen benefit of what God is gonna do and use in your life if you let him have his way. It's always beneficial, though, though it certainly is uncomfortable. So I, here's the third thing, the, the will of God. Sometimes we don't want the will of God because it, it's too restrictive. The, the will of God is always liberating, though, though it may seem restrictive. Job 24 says, some rebel against the light. They don't want to know its ways. How restrictive was it for Christ to come into a human form? 
I mean, here was the omnipresent God of the universe who confines himself for nine months to Mary's womb, who's, who's born and birthed and lays a helpless baby in a manger, has to, has to learn to walk and go to the bathroom and, and talk all the indecencies of, of a little baby. I mean, here he is. How, how restrictive was that? But in his restriction, he was able to win for us eternal life. And the will of God is often restrictive. J. Adams uses this illustration. He says, he says, when is a train the most free? When it's on the tracks or off the tracks? What's the answer? On the tracks. I mean, if this train says, I, I'm tired of going down this same track, I'm gonna jump off and go through this cornfield. So, so he jumps off the track and heads for the cornfield. He gets about one car length and falls over. The freedom comes when he's on the tracks. You see, here's what I found. Every freedom has a corresponding bondage and every bondage has a corresponding freedom. For example, you can either be free from your toothbrush and in bondage to cavities, or you can be in bondage to your toothbrush and free from cavities. Every freedom brings with it a corresponding bondage and every bondage, the tracks, brings a corresponding freedom. And so if you will embrace the bondage, the restriction, the restrictive will of God, there's great freedom in running down that track. I, I've, we have, we have some, some restrictions for our team members. We travel with 25 college-age team members, okay, guys and girls. And so we have learned over the years that there are some things we're not going to allow, that they can't have a dating relationship the first year they're on the team. We're not against marriage. I met my wife here. But for the first year, we want to say, let's just not think about that. Let's get your eyes other places, and let's focus on God. We give them directions about what they can wear, what they can watch on TV, what movies they can go to, what music they can listen to. We, we dictate their schedule. We've just learned. And, and so they say for a year, at least, I'm going to commit myself to this. I, I've seen team members come to our team and our ministry over the last 40 years and walk through an entire year of hearing truth like you're hearing and having opportunities to see God work in many ways and miss what God wanted to do in their life because they didn't like the restrictive will of God. Why can't I do that? Why can't I wear that? Why? And, and they've missed all the things God wanted to do because they would not embrace some restrictions that would help them run on the track. And some of us are like that. We're saying, God, if you don't explain to me why I can't do that, then I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna do what you want me to do. God is sovereign. He didn't have to explain everything to you. If you knew everything he knows, you would not question what he does, but you don't know that. So you embrace the restrictions for the freedom that it brings. And it's always liberating to stay in the restrictive will of God. Here's the next thing I'm learning. The will of God is always rewarding, though it may be momentarily costly. Tozier said this, God never uses a man greatly till he's hurt him deeply. I, I, that's not, a, that's not a, a verse, but I think it's true. Look, look at Hebrews 11 for just a second. Hebrews 11 it's my, my favorite New Testament passage, Hebrews 11. It's just filled with uh, all these great stories of all these great heroes of the faith. And um, we, we were just um, in um, Lancaster County in Pennsylvania, and they have, there's a place called Sight and Sound, and, and it's a, an incredible uh, place. And they, they, they put on performances and give the gospel, and thousands of people come through every week and hear the gospel. And the, the one we just went to was on, on Samson. 
And, and uh, I'd never really understood this. Like, as you look through Hebrews 11, you see all these, these great heroes and all the things they have done, Abraham, Abel, and, and Sarah. And, and, and it's like, and then it comes down about verse 35, and it lists Samson. And you think, wait a minute, why is Samson in that passage that talks about all the, all the heroes of faith? And, and this was just like, like last week, um, and, and I, I never saw this, but, but here's what they said, and I thought this was good. Samson is there to picture the grace of God. Not because he was a great guy, he wasn't. But, but the grace of God, even in a messed up life, God's grace was so incredible. God will grace your life, he'll grace my life, no matter what your past is, no matter what you've done. Anyway, I, I like this down in, in verse 35 where we've listed all the, the heroes by name. And then look at verse 32 actually. It says, he talks about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Depth of David, and so forth. And then look at verse 33 who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. I, I, I want to be in this group. I, I, I have a high adventure quotient. And man, I, I want to I do that. Quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. I love sword fighting movies. I want to be in this group. I want to be in the sword fighting group, the, the lion quenching uh, or taming group. And, and it says they, they were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back by resurrection. And then I want it to end right there. But it doesn't. Look what it says after that. Others were tortured, not accepting their release. Verse 36, others experienced mockings and scourgings, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, put to death with a sword, went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destined, afflicted, ill-treated. Were they in the will of God, yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Was it comfortable? Absolutely not. And, and we want, we, we don't mind knowing God as long as everything's going our way. But these people were in the will of God, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. The will of God, it, it's, it, there's, there's a cost to it. But the fact is that God is gonna, use, the, the reward for them was not here on this earth. They, they, had a, they obtained a better promise. They were not living for this earth, they were living for another kingdom. And that's where God wants us to live. There's always gonna be reward. And, and, and it's, it's not a problem to, to live for those rewards. It, it's interesting, you know, when, when Jesus is with the disciples and, 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 uh, and, and they say to him, you know, you know, what are you gonna give us since we followed you? And you would think Jesus would say, suck it up. Listen, you just do it because I said so, you know? He doesn't say that. He says, listen, everyone who follows me will receive many times more on this earth and then in addition to that, eternal life. But the, the reward is eternal. And, and God's gonna use those things and there's gonna be rewards, but, but understand, it may not be the way you examine or that you explain rewards. And then, and then this, I've I found this about the will of God, that, that is always sufficient, though it may not be visible. What I mean by that is that God is always gonna provide everything you need to do what he's asking you to do. I, I told you I went to college to, to, to play basketball. And, and my life was basically um, regretting my past ignoring my future, and looking for a thrill in the present. I came to this ministry 41 years ago, and I learned a verse, Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And, and I began to embrace that. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with coaching basketball. But, but I'll tell you, I wouldn't trade what I'm doing for any basketball coaching job in the nation. God had something else for me. 
And, and I, I, I didn't plan for this. I didn't prepare for this. But God has provided everything I have needed to do what he's called me to do. He, he's provided what I need physically. He, he's met our needs over the years uh, in, in, in various ways to, to meet different seasons of our life and financial needs. God, God has met the needs that we have in ways I, I could not explain apart from God. And, and God will provide everything he needs, you need for your life to do what he's called you to do. Here's the last thing. I wish I didn't have to add this last one, but, but tragically I do about the will of God. It is always best, but it is normally ignored. And the reason the will of God is normally ignored is because we have not understood his ways. And because we've not embraced the ways of God, we resist his will. Here's how I want to close the service tonight. Take out that blank sheet of paper, that note page that you have. And I want us to close tonight by writing a letter to God. And, and I want you to start your letter uh, this way. I'd like everybody to do this. Dear God, you need to think about this for a minute and make sure that this is really true. Dear God, I believe you are sovereign. We just read it. You know this. And tonight, I choose to trust you with. And tonight, would you take a few moments and, and, and from the perspective of this sovereign God who holds the universe in the span of his hand, say, God, I believe you're sovereign. And as a result of that, I'm gonna trust you. And then you write a letter to God and tell him all the things you've not been trusting him with and tell him right now, God, I believe you're sovereign, and tonight I'm gonna to choose to trust you.